Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast, where I sit down with successful entrepreneurs to extract the knowledge you need to increase your income and avoid simple mistakes. You learn from their failures so you don't have to go through the same thing. I hope that you find one thing that can change your life in this episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Student of the Game podcast. I'm Tim Stone here. I've got a special guest for you, Mr. Justin Freistadt. Justin, thank you for being here. Happy to be here. Should be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just here to learn from you is what we're going to do today. So love to hear your story. Kind of tell us who you are, how you got here, and then we're going to dive into what you do and uh, see if we can learn something. Sounds good. I mean, it's it's been a journey, you know, starting as a kid, not knowing at all what to do with your life. Uh, I was just playing hockey, you know, um, went to college for that. Is really the only reason to be in college at that point for me. Um, school just wasn't it. I couldn't figure anything out at all. Um, spent five years there trying to figure out a major that just never, never really landed. So um, dropped out of college um, when I found sales. Uh, did that first in-home sale, get that first commission check, and I was hooked. Um, I never really understood. It just wasn't a fit for me. The whole concept of a salary is just like, I just don't know how hard to work uh, when I'm not incentivized by performance. So finding sales kind of saved me and um, went into sales at my dad's company. It was a food service called Heartland Foods. Ended up uh, going all the way to the VP position, uh, helping to grow the whole sales side, marketing side of the company. Fast forward uh, 15 years later, and uh, we sell the company to a private equity firm. And now I'm a full-time investor and managing partner at Kearns Capital. So it's been a ride. That's awesome. So I dropped out of college as well, which is, uh, I, I think, becoming a more popular path or some people not going at all. Uh, but you mentioned five years and then still dropped out, no degree. You, are, how close were you? I was not close. I mean, I was close by credits, but in, in so many different disciplines, it just wasn't, you know, packaged together. I probably would have had to do another year or two. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it's such an interesting thing, right? It's like, because if college is built for a certain type of person. And if you're not that type of person, college, the whole experience is telling you you're a failure the whole time. And mm. it kind of puts you into a little bit of a depression. And I was like, I just didn't know that I just shouldn't have been there. It just wasn't me. Yeah, no, it's the right fit for a lot of people. But someone like you and I just like, it didn't make sense. It felt like I was wasting time the whole time I was there. And it was great. I'm glad I went, met some great people. And definitely I'm really glad that I went. But it, yeah, I'm super glad I didn't finish school. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I know a little bit of your story, but I, I kind of want to peel into it a little more with the, uh, the food company. You were, you were literally cold calling people, selling them food is, uh, from what I know, but let's, let's dive into that. Like, what did that business look like kind of when you came in running it with your dad and then, um, eventually selling it as a, I mean, a, a great opportunity to get involved in that with a family business, but let's, uh, let's start like first day selling food over the phone. What does that look like? <laughs> So we, we sold in person. So it oh, in was person. Uh, okay. A little yeah, easier. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the sales part easier. Um, getting the leads was the hard part, right? It's kind of like all the direct sales from the guys doing roofs, solar. I mean, you're you're knocking doors, right? I mean, that's that's how it started. We tried all different type of canvassing, going door to door, dropping off samples, acquiring information and following up on the leads, trying to schedule appointments on the spot door to door. Uh, we found all different ways of generating leads. That was always the hardest part in that business was the lead flow. It wasn't the sale. It wasn't the product. We had the best product in the space. It's just nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I want to get six months of food delivered to my house with a big freezer. You know, They go to the grocery store or they 
order a, a box online. So we were kind of carving out a new segment of the marketplace, uh, which is very difficult. So the marketing was the hardest part. Um, but when we generated leads, I mean, my, my closing percentage um, from if you blend it across cold leads, referrals, everything was 86% over my 10 years that I was selling. So making the sale was the easy part. It was getting in front of somebody who was qualified to buy it. So that, that was always the challenge, but uh, doing prospecting, building partnerships, and we tried so many different things, Facebook ads, blah, 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 all of it. And uh, what worked best for our business was just relationships and partnerships with health and wellness professionals. So um, I would team up with local CrossFit gym owners, uh, go to the gym on a Saturday, cook a bunch of samples for the, the whole community there. And uh, we were just boots on the ground uh, for a long time. So I was going from event to event to event that I was setting up these little, you know, mini events, generating the leads on the weekend, selling them all week and um, rinse and repeat that process, built it into something that we could scale, um, which was very difficult, but we did scale a sales team up to 12 people and I was managing that um, and I still sold the whole way. So when you fast forward, per personally, I sold um, 20 million in sales um, at the time of the exit and um, 15 million from my team. So uh, I still drove most of the revenue over those years and I you know, bring salespeople in and out, in and out. And um, our, our sales team was always up and down based off the lead flow that we could generate. So when we found Facebook ads in 2015 and they worked really well and they were cheap and you could target, uh, you know, we were generating so many leads, I could scale the team into it. Um, and then leads, lead, lead flow got harder and harder. And then this team starts dying, you know, so it was a constant uh, grind and flow of building a team, losing the team, building and losing it very difficult business because if you're going to do direct sales door to door, there's a lot of options, right? Home improvement companies have bigger margins than food. So they could pay people more than we could to do essentially the same type of job. So it was always very difficult um, on the hiring side um, to, to build teams. And that was the biggest struggle we had in that business. Definitely. So what does it take to sell $20 million worth of food? Or like how, how do you become that person? Because I know it's, it's not easy at all. And, and by the fact that the team would produce 15 million, you'd produce 20. Um, like what, what does that take? Uh, man, it's, it's the expertise of knowing everything about your product service and industry. Um, I was just, you know, subject matter expert after, you know, obsessively studying and learning every part of a, a supply chain, um, what goes into the farming, the breeds of the animals, like all the things that take a product from, you know, the farm to your table, I, I was the expert in that. So if I was in front of somebody qualified, you know, they were going to buy the product from me. That's just what it was. So it was a numbers game, right? Like I would reverse engineer the year. I remember uh, when I first started, the record was just over 1 million in sales in a year for a salesperson in our industry. So, I, you know, reverse engineered that, you know, a million a year means I need like 80 some thousand a month to break it down to the day which equated to, I need, I need one sale a day, right? So that was my goal in the beginning. It was like, okay, if I'm terrible in sales and I'm a 50% closer, that means I need two appointments a day and I'm going to hit my targets, right? So mm -hmm. I think that was the difference between me and everybody else is that I, I mapped my goal for the year out on day one backwards. And then I did whatever it takes to hit those targets. You know, everybody else was, you know, if I can get two sales in a week and then I can chill on the weekend, I make, you know, they were thinking about how much, money do I need to make? I was thinking about the targets of breaking records. So um, at the end of that, you know, no one in our industry had ever done 2 million in a year. I, I was the first one to do that. And then uh, no one's ever done 3 million in a year. And, and I did that. So um, I mean, but what it takes, I mean, yeah, 60, 70, 80 day sprints where I would not take a day off. I was chasing targets and records. And, um, you know, our average sale over the, the history was 
anywhere from three thousand to ten thousand dollars a sale. So, you know, d- divide that into twenty million, and, and you'll see how many houses I went to. Yeah, that's a lot, and and to have <laughs> such a high closing percentage. Uh, now, subject matter expert, like you were, you were in it. Like your family owned the business. You had, you knew everything. Like you knew all the pieces, business wise, product wise, everything. But the sales skills, like, did you do any sales training? How did you learn to do it? Because uh, yeah. you can know everything about it, but you got to help people make the decision, and they got to actually, you know, make the transaction go through. Well, where did where did that come from, if at all? Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting, right? Because in the beginning, I wanted to learn about sales, so I dove into all the books. I mean, I I went to sales seminars, in person trainings, everything. I read every Grant book, every Brian Tracy, all Zig Ziglar, like all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is is it's good to learn that stuff and to know the tactics, to know the psychology, like the psychology of selling by Brian Tracy was the, the foundation for me. And uh, helped me a lot with the mindset and understanding the numbers game and, and how to communicate with people. But there's a transition that happens. Um, and I think it's just everybody knows the, the, the sales tactics, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's, just, it's distasteful. People don't like it. Um, so I, I moved away from all that, right? But I, I had it internalized. I knew how to use it in certain situations. But I was very relationship-based. I mean, I've, 90% of my appointments had nothing to do with the product I was selling. It was getting to know this family, making sure they trust me and, and they know that I'm going to serve them after the sale. You know, these are the things that um, drove the, the referral streams. And to me, being great at sales is being able to get a tribe of people that refer you, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be in tough selling situations. They're almost sold when you get there. So after you know three to five years of, of pounding it and cold leads, difficult leads, getting those sales and building that referral networks, I was completely self-sufficient in my sales off of referral business. Um, there were periods of time where I would get so many referrals, I couldn't run them all myself and they trickle down into the team, which is, that's the dream, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, at, at that point on, on a referral, uh, my closing percentage was 96%. So yeah. it basically became a, a game of relationships, which I think the best salespeople aren't great at sales tactics. They're great at building relationships. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent, and and the referral is huge because it's coming from someone that's already done business with you, like they know what the other person needs to know, and they're coming into the conversation with you now, knowing you know knowing what they're getting into, and and typically prepared to make a decision. So that's awesome. It's huge to uh, build the relationships. It just takes a lot of time. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, right? It's it's like, do you want to be a master at closing people? Maybe they don't feel so good about it. Or do you want to have a reputation for being somebody that follows through on everything? And then they're talking to their friend. They're like, hey, check out my freezer. I got this great food service. Um, here's my guy, right? Because like my magnet goes on every freezer when it's sold. It's my face, but, you know, uh, phone number, all that. And it's like when you've been serving someone for six months, a year, two years, you always answer your phone. You always, you know, return the emails. You get everything done on a timely fashion and you serve your, your clients, like they go out and prospect for you. That's the secret. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what was the offer? Like, what is it that you were selling? Was it like they are going to pick the meats they want or you had a selection and, and I, I'm pretty sure you gave them a freezer with it. So what was it that you were actually out there selling? Yeah. So it was always a six month food package, right? Which would be customized for each individual family. So if you got you know, three people in the household, four or five, and then they would pick on average, you know, how many nights a week they want to cook at home. 
And then we would uh, design a custom plan. We'd go through the whole book and it could be the kind of thing they'd be like, oh, we want to do New York strips. And, and I would say, okay, you want to do that once a week, once a month, how often do you want to have it? And we'd build out a meal plan based off of um, six months. So if they wanted three meals a week, three times six months, three meals a week, um, that's 78 meals for the six months. If they wanted four nights a week, it's 104, right? Five is 130. And um, that's how we build the plan. And then at the end, when we get to the numbers, it's, okay, you can buy just the food if you'd like, put it in your own freezer. Uh, or we have a membership that comes with an entire package of protections, three-year price protection on the cost of food, which was huge for people during the inflation mm -hmm. recently. Uh, great investment there. Uh, power failure. If, if you lose power and all your food goes bad, we replace it. it happens all the time. And, you know, we would do that. Um, it would come with the actual freezer itself with a lifetime warranty as long as you stay with us. Uh, so we had all these benefits packaged into the physical thing, which was the freezer. And if you bought that membership package, you would get a lifetime discount on the food. And the idea was is that through your loyalty of ordering, most families would break even on that investment in a two to three year period. And then they would keep that lifetime discount. So essentially their mm -hmm. membership would pay for itself. So yeah. great model because it, it creates retention, loyalty, recurring revenue. You know, we're getting a smaller margin on the back end, but we're keeping our customers for, for mm -hmm. the long term. So yeah, um, it's, it's cheaper to keep a customer than to acquire a new one. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I love you. Uh, you're definitely the subject matter expert breaking down the food business. So I appreciate that. And I kind of want to dive into some of those other lessons you learned just about life and investing and money and wealth. Uh, but let, let's talk about the sale of the business and then, uh, you know, the timing of that and then what you're getting into now. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the sale of Heartland Foods was not something that we planned. It was something that, that happened. Um, interesting life experience. You know, you think things are going to play out a certain way. Like this is our family business. We're growing it together. I mean, it, my dad's like, it's going to be yours uh, when I retire and it's going to be what you do. And that was the plan the whole time. Um, then an interesting thing called a pandemic happened. And mm -hmm. for the first time, it was, it was a huge revelation for us because for the first time, uh, the market was forced in the sense of people were waking up every day saying, I don't want to go to the grocery store. What are my options? Right. And there was a period of time during the pandemic where the shelves were bare and you couldn't get anything, but, but we could, right. We never had a disruption in our products. So mm -hmm. um, o overnight, the whole world was looking for alternatives and we were the answer. So we, we were able to spend less money on marketing than we ever did and double the sales of the company strictly off of the market shifting towards what we offered. Mm -hmm. So, that was a very, very interesting thing to go through, um, being that we always had to create our market. It was very difficult to have a predictable lead flow when, you know, no one's trying to wake up and buy your product. So, right. um, so yeah, uh, basically what happened, the margins got amazing. The business um, became something that was attractive to private equity firms and offers were coming in that, you know, we, we just decided we couldn't refuse. And um, next thing you know, selling a company we weren't planning on selling it and, and i'm in a position of okay well now i gotta pivot figure out what i'm gonna do next and it's interesting um when you're forced into something like that um you know you think it, on the surface it's like a negative like oh what am i gonna do terrible and um life has gotten exponentially better since i got forced into that that's awesome and, and I, I wanted to touch on that just like the the market completely shifting in your favor and and i think the private equity firms like you know, COVID 
COVID died out and now they have this business, but I think it's probably still pretty decent for them because people are now used to, you know, ordering the food, having it delivered. Like, uh, even though, you know, the pandemic for the most part has gone away, you can go to the stores, there's food, you know, the supply chain issues aren't as bad, but I haven't been to the grocery store and like a year we still do uh, uh we still get our groceries delivered and things because those things that just came out of the pandemic and kind of shaped our lifestyle it's still a thing it's, it's nice yeah. to get your food delivered it's nice to have six months of meat in the freezer in your garage um so it just you know expose you to a bigger market so that's awesome and it, hopefully it goes well for whoever bought it but uh now you, you know you guys are kind of out of that on to the next thing so what is it now that you're uh doing full-time investing in yeah, so when we were selling the business, I, I kind of went on a, a little rampage tour of going to events, high-end masterminds, um, something I really hadn't done um, too much of because I was just so focused on what we were doing at Heartland. And uh, I saw that as the, the best way for me to quickly get out into, into the entrepreneur world, meet people doing high-level stuff and just see what's out there. And uh, that's when I met Cody Kearns um, at his boot camp down in Miami. Someone else invited me. I got really lucky. Uh, ending up there and meeting him and, you know, fast forward, um, he's starting a hedge fund called Currents Capital. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to be in the investment world, separate from the health and wellness passions. The whole time I was investing in real estate, I was you know, wanting to be in this hedge fund space. And it, it was like a silver platter right there. Startup hedge fund uh, needed capital raising and, and sales is my forte. So uh, I just own that responsibility, walked right in there. And um, yeah, tomorrow's the, the one year anniversary of the first trade wow. at Kearns Capital. And uh, we just crossed 20 million under management in, in 12 months. So we're very, very proud of how fast we grew this thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Congrats. So like you're, you're a guy that uh, figures out ways to make money. I mean, it, it just is in a way you're seeking it out, but it's also something that's kind of attract, attracts to you. So say a, say a guy in his young twenties wants to make money, wants to make a, a million dollars. What are, what are like the, the steps you would tell someone to kind of take the path to start moving towards? Cause obviously it's not easy, but you know, th there's some things you figured out at this point. Yeah. I think this is a, a, not a one size fits all question. I think the first thing you have to do is really know yourself. And um, the way you figure that out is through trying a lot of stuff. Uh, I knew that sales was was my thing, right? Um, I also knew that project management and uh, being like a CEO and wearing all these different hats and in and out of different segments of the company was not my skill set. So I've always uh, been the mindset of I need to bring my sales skill set to an excellent CEO, leader, entrepreneur, and complement what they do. And uh, you know, not having that ego of having to be the guy. And, you know, number one, like I'm the mm. I'm the happiest. Number two or three, I get to just crush what I'm good at, stay in my lane, and that's sales. So what I would say to to younger people is, when you're trying things, you find something that you're good at, lean into that, become the absolute best at that one thing. Everybody I know that's really successful has one excellent skill that they are highly paid for. Mm. That's that's good knowledge right there. And would you say it has to be something you're naturally good at, or would you recommend finding a high paying skill that you've never done and go all in on that? It depends what the goal is. I think in the beginning, we all need to get out of obscurity, right? We we're all broke. Um, we have no self-esteem and these things kind of go together, right? So in the beginning, you know, a lot of people say, follow your passion. Follow. I don't believe that at all. 
I think you need to do something you hate that pays really well um, to put yourself out of obscurity. And then once you know you have capital and you can start investing and free up some of your time and you have some passive income, you know, then, then you can work on something you're passionate about. But in, until you secure financial freedom, I think you, you need to be a slave to it, however it gets done. You know, like I did not like going door to door. I never liked the sales job. Never liked it. I was good at it. There's a difference, right? So I became really good at that because I saw a path and that that was going to be the way I was going to put myself on the map. And now all of those skills transferred into what I'm doing now, which is actually what I want to do with my life. And it's it's a great feeling. But, you know, if you're not willing to eat shit for 10 years, yeah. I mean, that's how long it took me. I know a lot of young, successful entrepreneurs that figure it out in a year or two, three, four, five years, very successful in their 20s. That wasn't me. It took me a little longer, but that doesn't matter, right? It's it's the not putting an expiration date on your goals and I'm going to get there regardless. And I'm, I'm just going to go until it happens. And mm-hmm. for me, it was a decade. Yeah. yeah, especially if building significant wealth and financial freedom is your goal it's okay to do something you're not passionate about if it pays you enough to justify it. Like, you know, if you're super passionate about this one thing and you're only going to make $40,000 a year, that's okay. You could live off of that. Totally fine. Nothing wrong with it. But if your goal is great things, uh, you know, in regards to finances and wealth, you know, you got to realize it's not going to cut it. You're not going to reach what your goal is. You either have to reassess your goals or reassess what you're doing. Because like, yeah, yeah, I I think a lot of people maybe have that misaligned, but uh, it's okay to do what you're passionate about and love, but you just have to, you know, see if that lines up with your goals. If your goals are to make a lot of money, like, and you get there eventually, then, then you can do something you're passionate about. It'll be easier for you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You just don't want to be the person. Like, I feel like in this country right now, we have an epidemic of people with false expectations for the value they bring to the table. I mean, it's straight up, right? It's like, like you just said, if you want to go be a school teacher, like do any, like there's not, like it's a very yeah, honorable job, need right? That. Yeah. And they should make more but, money, but. They should, but that's not the reality, right? So you, you can't cry about the way things should be. You have to just accept what mm-hmm. is and operate within that. So if you have misalignment, you want to make a hundred grand, but you go into a job where you can only make 40 and now you're upset and you want to blame outside forces. You want to blame the world. I should get paid more for this. Well, you can cry about it all day. You can blame all day, but that's not going to change your situation. So sometimes we have to accept what is and operate within that framework if we want to improve our lives. That's it. Yeah. So say someone has no idea. You just get into some sales, like go work at a dealership, go go work for someone like a cold calling, doing real estate, figure something out. Yeah. I mean, might as well try it. I mean, worst thing that happens is you figure out like this is not your path or you figure out how to make money. There's nothing wrong with figuring out what you don't want. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of the path to figuring out what you do want. Like you're you're not going to it's like people that are looking for jobs. Right. It's like you're looking through all the jobs and it's like that's the one I want. You apply for one job. Like, how do you know what you want yet? You haven't even talked to these people. You should be casting a giant wide net, applying to everything, having a million conversations. People feel like like taking action is a full commitment. It's not right. You're seeking, you're, you're looking, you're finding, you're evaluating. And if you don't get frequency in these things and do a lot of it, you won't find the right thing. And then you won't have the confidence when you find the right thing. Cause you haven't had enough reps to know if it's the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's nothing wrong with being wrong. 
Like, all right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I thought I wanted to do this and I don't. On to the next. And, and kind of kind of the point you were saying is you look on social media and you see a lot of people that are super young and successful very early. Like it, it's easy to do. And like, you know, I've, I've gotten to the point where like I didn't have to go to school anymore. I, I was making more money than school was going to help me make. So like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not balling, balling, but like some people see that and like, it's really frustrating and it's like, or like I couldn't get there in a year. I couldn't get there in two years. Like, that's fine. Like I, I see people out here making $12 million a month and I'm nowhere close to that. Like it's like frustratingly far away from that as well. So it, it just, you know, you, you just have to put your head down and do what you're doing and keep learning to like, if, if your goal involves making more money, you just got to keep learning how to make more money because there's different levels and things change constantly. So good segue to what is this next level for you? Uh, talk about Currents Capital and uh, things you're doing over there. And then real estate as well. Uh, I think a lot of people that listen to this are interested in real estate or already in it. Uh, I know that you've, you're involved in some syndications. So let's go there. Yeah, the, the real estate side um, is where I started. Uh, so first, first I bought uh, a condo, lived in it for a year, moved out, bought a townhouse, rented that out, uh, moved out of that townhouse. You know, we were renting that out. Um, and, and what I realized was that I don't want to be a, a landlord as far as like day-to-day -day management, any of that stuff. And single doors are extremely risky um, compared to multifamily. So what I did, I sold that condo, um, uh, still renting out the uh, townhouse, but um, started moving all of all of my excess capital from sales into multifamily syndications because I wanted to be hands off. I don't want any day to day. I just want to send the wires and receive the cash flow, mm. you know, and and the K one benefits, all the taxes, like all of that was very attractive to me. And um, you know, the the concept of a four hundred one k and all these traditional retirement routes where you you save and then draw down. It, it's a recipe for absolute fear in retirement. And plus you get no lifestyle on the way. So none, mm -hmm. none of that sat well with me. I was looking for other ways. You know, our, our bills, our expenses are done monthly, right? So why not invest in a way where the returns come monthly to offset that? That made common sense to me and real estate does that. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I got pretty heavy into real estate. Uh, so now I'm in five different syndications. It's like 1600 units across five states, which is which is great. Um, and through that learning process, what I realized uh, from generating all the, all the tax losses on the passive side, uh, what I realized is I didn't have enough passive income from other sources to use the tax benefits. Mm -hmm. So that's when I, I was looking for alternatives uh, that created passive income. Um, I've done some oil and gas deals and um, they're okay. Very risky. Probably I'm not going there ever again. It's a little too stressful, but uh, Kern's Capital by far has been the workhorse uh, for me on the passive income side. Um, so I got a big position in a personal account there. And then, of course, I'm a managing partner. So raising a ton of capital, you know, we get paid on the 1099 side there. So, um, yeah, it's it's been beautiful to marry uh, multifamily real estate with Kern's Capital. So as I build those two buckets together, the real estate is long money it's slow money the returns aren't sexy uh but it complements currents capital because it's fast money it's it's very high returns and then you put the two together and you, i can get somewhere in the neighborhood of a 40 to 60 percent annual return tax-free yeah 
Well, that's pretty awesome. Uh, now, stop me if there's any like fun regulations you can't talk about, but but explain what it is, how you're creating returns like that, and how long do you think something like that'll last? You know, 40, 60 percent returns. Yeah, I mean, we we can't predict what the returns will be. We don't know. We just know what our targets are and what the parameters are on our strategies. Um, the goal was two to four percent net return every month to the investor partners after the fees and splits. And we achieve those returns with uh, a myriad of strategies. So um, some of them are fund to fund, like with our swing trading at Forte Capital Group. They've got a robust desk, of, uh, you know, trading desk there. Um, they have billions under management. So we lean on their expertise and equities. Um, they do swing trading for us. And then uh, we have several other strategies in the FX space, uh, higher risk, but much higher return. And some of those are, are done with AI algorithms, and we're also using manual trading strategies uh, in, the, in those buckets. So you aggregate the whole thing together. I mean, there's been a currency war going around the world. The volatility has been incredible, and it's played right into our strategy. So although we've been doing some 5 6% months, it's not the norm, and we want to keep that expectation at a 2 to 4% uh, net return every month. Yeah, and you guys just uh, got into private equity in the last month or so, right? Yeah, this has been part of the plan for a while. Uh, so we we became limited partners of Forte Capital Group's Innovation X Fund, which is a billion dollar plus private equity. Um, so really, I mean, this is all about access, right? Like we're a smaller hedge fund, um, but by becoming limited partners of a massive fund, we can get access to some of the best investments in the world. So uh, the one we just did was uh, Flexport is the company. They're going to do $6 billion in revenue this year. They operate in 116 countries, massive global uh, logistics company. And this opportunity came through Innovation X um, from a, a distressed fund uh, that was invested in Flexport that needed to liquidate their shares. And they needed to liquidate quickly because of distress in another part of their portfolio. And we were able to scoop these shares up uh, beneath $8 a share, and they're valued in the 20s. So um, in, a, in a public market, companies like this are valued at one-time sales or at four and a half-time sales. And we bought these shares at one-time sales. Mm. So um, they're, they're projected to go public in the next 12 to 24 months. And uh, the gross, the gross uh, multiple on that should be four to eight X. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like at least a minimum of four. Um, that's awesome. So how does someone uh, get enough money to become an investor in things like this? Um, I mean, you got to have 100K, right? That, that's the minimum for most private placement investments, whether it's real estate, currents capital, um, private mm -hmm. equity funds a little bit higher, 250,000. Um, but it's really, you got to be qualified first, right? You have to be accredited. That, so that that's the goal. You know, a lot of people that want to get started investing when you save a little bit of money, it's in my opinion, you should be reinvesting that money into yourself. Um, whether that be events, proximity to people that can help you, courses, books, you know, getting your income up, marketing in your business, becoming accredited is a prerequisite to having access to these investments. So I think that's step one in your investing career is uh, getting your income up. Um, so you not only have the capital to deploy, but you're qualified to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it pretty often, and you probably have this more like personal relationships, people will reach out and say, hey, I got five grand, 10 grand, I want to start investing, what should I do? And like every time my answer is invest in yourself into skills or opportunities that are going to create you more than $10,000. Because even if you get an amazing return on that money, like say you invested 10K in Kearns Capital and you got a 60% return, it's only $6,000. Exactly. Like, 
and and, and like th that's a good return when you only have ten thousand. But six thousand dollars doesn't really go a long way in anybody's pockets, at least in America anymore. So invest ten thousand dollars into a network or a mastermind where you're going to meet the people that are going to show you, you know, how to make a hundred thousand dollars, how to make two hundred thousand. I think you got to make two hundred thousand two years in a row to be accredited or a net worth of a million dollars. So invest in yourself to get to that point. And yeah, and that's and what another I thing that yeah. yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's this isn't talked about enough either. Like you've got to. If you're going to go put yourself in these rooms, you need to look like you belong there. Right. So if, mm. if I, and, and I had, like, I played hockey my whole life. So I had really messed up teeth. They would get, I've had my teeth reconstructed over 10 times. Right. I've spent a fortune on these teeth when I wasn't accredited. And there's a reason for that. Like if you only have five grand and your teeth are jacked up, the best investment you can make is go fix your teeth with that five grand. Yeah. Right. Because and as as sad as it is, there's a, I think you might see it behind me. The book Big Money Energy kind of talks about that a little bit. Whether people mean to do it or not, like they're judging you by how they feel about you, by the way you look and the way you act and present yourself. And and there's like even if they don't mean to, subconsciously, you walk into a room of people, you know, making a million dollars a year. You know, they spend their time playing golf, country clubs, talking about deals, wearing suits. And if you don't look the part, it's going to affect you negatively, unfortunately. Like, that's the truth. It's how yeah. you take care of yourself, right? Like, mm -hmm. first thing for me, I'll say it. I have no shame in this because it's important to me. If if you're pitching me a deal and I visually can look at you and say, you don't take care of yourself, I do not believe that you can take care of my investment. Mm. Straight up. Like, if you don't take care of your health, if you're out of shape and you're sloppy, you don't groom yourself well, you know, like, this doesn't mean you have to wear a suit, but you have to, you know, yeah. Look, look like you had look like you tried. Together. Yeah, look like you tried at least. Yeah. If you skip that step, I'm not I'm not listening. Like it's yeah. the conversation doesn't even start. It's really important to me that you take care of yourself before you you take care of the business. Yeah. And, and fitness is part of that too. Fitness and health is part of that. And I know you're huge on that. You uh used to religiously track your macros, you told me. Um, yeah. But and that's another thing, is like, you know, like you're not a person of discipline. Uh, you, you, someone can look at you and tell if you know if you're disciplined. Like uh, JD always says, that he can look someone in the eyes and tell if they write their goals down every day, <laughs> like just by just by like the the vision and passion behind what they're saying they want to do. So uh, like those are important steps of just working on yourself to become the person you need to be to get to where you want to go. And if you and if this sounds like the dumbest thing you've ever heard, like reconsider your goals how realistic is it like you know you you know it's is it possible to make a billion dollars with messed up teeth yeah but it's gonna be a lot harder <laughs> exactly yeah um yeah so i mean that's awesome the the stuff you're doing there and just um i mean one, one thing i want to talk about is like how are you generating business and raising capital for investors because that is like that that's kind of like the next step for a lot of people uh, in the entrepreneurial journey. You learn the marketing and sales, you learn lead generation, how to make money. And then it's how to multiply money, how to, you know, use other people's money to get into these big deals. We're going to have a four to eight X multiple. Of course you guys are going to take fees. You know, you've gotten to the point where now you're getting into opportunities like this, where you, know, you get in the private equity, you've got the, the trading and creating great returns. Um, 
like what is the what is the long-term goal i mean that's that's the journey a lot of people go on this is where i was at the journey a lot of people go on is become the entrepreneur learn the sales and marketing learn how to make money and then it's like how do i make my money make money and that's where um, i just heard uh, chris crone say the other day 90 percent of millionaires come from real estate and 100 percent of billionaires come from private equity so what's what's the next play what's like the long-term goal and uh, we may hear some lightning here in the background, but that's it's cool, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's that's dead on. When you when you get up into these levels, uh, one thing you realize in the private equity is that money's everywhere, right? And lots of it, big money everywhere. So if you've got good deals, you've got solid relationships, good custodians, good you know good track record. Um, I mean the path to a billion is is right there. So you know we're twenty million after the first year with one private equity deal, which we literally just closed on a couple of days ago. So um, the idea is, yeah, uh, we're going to keep whatever Innovation Next pushes through. We're going to raise as much capital as we can, keep doing these SPVs, um, blow this thing up. And yeah, we can see a clear path to a billion under management. And uh, the only thing that could stop us is us. Yeah. And the, the thing that I see is that's all through relationships. Like you, you got into this opportunity through relationships with Cody and Sergio and the team and everything and you know, getting, getting put there on the team. And then uh, Cody got into a lot of these opportunities through relationships, just knowing the right people, uh, making a lot of people a lot of money, put them in the right rooms and put you guys all in the right rooms. And then all of the capital, all the capital raise. I mean, it's relationships. Someone's got to know, like, and trust you before they're going to put a minimum $100,000 in your fund. So, uh, like, what what is a what's a good way for someone to start building those types of relationships? Because I've talked to people who are like, I don't know a single millionaire, and they think that. But yeah. the truth is, there's a lot more money out there, and maybe maybe you don't. But it'd be really easy for you to find one, especially well, if you if you open Instagram. Everybody's a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> but well, a- yeah, what's how do you, how do you build those relationships that are actually gonna uh, you know turn into money in the pocket? Uh, it's a couple things. So there's no question that the in-person events where, you know, it costs five grand or more to be there, everybody in that room, you know, if they're spending five grand to be in a room for three days to learn something, they got the right mindset. They've got the capital. You know, that's that that's how it's done. Right. Doesn't mean they're going to invest with you right away. In fact, most people don't. But you're there to to establish a relationship. This is where the the brand on social media is so important. Right. Every single person I meet at an event, we're going to follow each other on Instagram. They're going to, you know, stories, reels, they're going to get to see into my daily life. And that's going to build trust. The amount of people who end up investing with me months after they meet me, it's most, right? So it's, hmm. it's, uh, it's kind of like an automated follow-up system. If you don't have social media and you're not putting out at least daily stories, being in front of everyone in your life, showing them your personal life, not just business, but everything about who you are, you know, you're developing trust from afar when people get to see how you operate on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that raises a lot of capital, um, just showing who you are. If who you are is something of value, people are going to do business with you. So Absolutely. Social, social media is a huge tool for that. And I love, I love doing exactly what you do, go to conferences, connect with someone, follow each other on Instagram. I'm going to be posting. Typically, they're the kind of person that's going to be posting consistently, at least on stories. Super easy to take a picture and post it, of, you know, of what you're doing. Um, and then you just kind of build that relationship. You get to know how they talk, who they're connecting with, the things that they're doing, and 
and it does build that trust from afar. And, and I've seen it uh, specifically in the tax business a lot. You know, everyone I connect with for the most part is a U.S. taxpayer and 99% of people, you know, there's some opportunity for them to do better on their taxes to save more money. And, and at least most of them want to. So people, you know, I met them two, three years ago, just, you know, uh, whatever, either I met them on Instagram or I met them at an event. And eventually it's like, hey, man, I need help with taxes or like, yeah. hey, man. I got, I got some money I need to put somewhere. Like I see you're doing real estate deals. You're talking about this deal you just closed. Like I want to do that. So, so it really just letting people know what you're doing is huge um, to create opportunity. Uh, totally, totally agree with that. And then um, have one more thing, but I forgot it. But well, we'll I, got, I got something Go for, for you. it. A, a continuation on the last topic, you know, when you say like, oh, how do you raise capital, right? That's just the first part of it right? is establishing the relationships. And to your point, a lot of people don't even realize where they have accessible equity and money to put to work. So part of this is not only meeting people and getting the meetings, but you've got to be a professional problem solver. The amount of people that tell me I'll invest when I can save the money or I don't have it right now, 99% of people are going to go, okay, call me when you're ready. That's that's not your job. Your job, like the professional salesperson, the professional capital raiser is going to help that person find the money. Because I don't hear when someone says that to me, I don't hear they're not ready to invest. I say they don't, they need help finding out how to invest, right? So the first thing I, I would go through, tell me about your assets now. Tell me about, you know, where where is your current investment structure? Where is everything? Do you own your home? And the amount of people that'll be like, yeah, I own my home. It's paid off. And I'm like, you're telling me you don't have any cash to invest because you don't understand that you can take a home equity line of credit and go put that money to work because it's just not your mentality, right? Right. So it's you could you refinance, pull out 300k, and the cash flow in this investment is going to pay your mortgage. You don't have to exactly. worry about. It. You're still not going to have to worry about the mortgage. Now you got you a free house. Access, yeah. Right. So it's little things like that. Oh, you got a self-directed IRA. Um, you got like, where are your assets? You know. Oh, you paid off your cars. Why would you do that when you can borrow it at 3% and then go make that a month? You know, mm -hmm. so it's 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 your job to shift the mentality, take your expertise and pour it into other people so that they can start to invest like a pro. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, I mean, tons of lessons, tons of knowledge here. I, I really like that you uh, shared a lot of this. Is there anything that you know, coming in? doing podcasts or specifically this podcast you want to share with some listeners, like just a piece of advice on uh, business life, finance, money, anything? Yeah. I mean, the, the big picture is just at times when we feel stuck and we feel helpless, you are one person, one relationship, one decision away from completely changing the trajectory of your life. Yeah. And you have to believe that, right? Or you're never going to have these these Cinderella moments, right? Where everything aligns, you got to be willing to not have those moments over and over and over where it feels dark and it's all going to go bad. Like everybody, everybody that you admire has been through that. So just don't, don't think you're going to be some sort of exception going through this process where it's going to be easy, where you won't get scammed. You're going to take some hits along the way, and none of us are getting out of this entrepreneurship investing game um, without getting hit sometimes. So you just got to know that going in. And if you can embrace that and go through it, 
you come out on the other side and, and things look pretty good. Great. And one last question. Do you think luck is real? Yeah. Yeah. You live in Vegas, so (laughs) maybe there's something to that. I think, I I think that who you are and what you do puts you in a position to get lucky, but you Mm -hmm. still got to get lucky. Like there is a element of luck to all this, you know, you know, I, I stumbled across Cody, right. And we're doing a hedge fund. And like, what if I had stumbled across something else on this search and it, and it was paying me half of what I'm making, or maybe I stumbled across something bigger and my skill set transferred to making a billion dollars. Like there is, there is luck involved, but you increase the odds and percentages of getting luck when you do the right things. When you put more chips on the board. Yeah. <laughs> when you put more chips on the board, you'll hit. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're making uh, uncalculated bets. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. It's like definitely have been very lucky, but also you just have to put yourself in a position to get lucky. And I think I talk about this in like every podcast. So I'm probably going to make it a question that I ask everybody just to hear their opinion. So far, everybody has said like, yeah, totally. Like luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And uh, I totally got lucky, but I was prepared (laughs) for that to happen. Was looking for it. So uh, yeah, Justin, I appreciate the time. And and I think people will get a lot out of this. And uh, hopefully people will make more money after listening to this. That's what I was hoping to get out of it learn how to make some more money. So uh, where can people find out more about you, follow your story, uh, possibly invest, you know, if they got some money they need to put somewhere. Yep. So or if they need to find the money. Yeah. (laughs) I can help you with all that. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Lines of credit. I mean, I've, I've made tons of investments off lines of credit when I didn't have cash, like be resourceful. You can, you can do these things. So, but uh, yeah, you can find me on all the social medias. It's Justin Freistadt. Last name's tough. So I'll spell it. It's F R e-i-s-h-t-a-t my personal website is toptierhuman.com and then kearns capital our website is kearns.capital awesome thank you very much thank you for uh everybody that listened to this point go follow justin and we'll see you on the next one thanks for having me tim thank you for the time Thanks for tuning into the Student of the Game podcast. If you listened all the way to the end, I would love your feedback. The best way to connect with me is to reach out through Instagram. Leaving a thumbs up or a review on whichever platform you're tuning in from will really help this podcast reach more people. So if you found it valuable at all, all I can ask is that you would do that for me. Thanks. Until next time.